Uh, Philippians chapter 2. Two verses. Two verses. If you remember, we did 5 through 8. That was the humiliation of Christ. That was Christ coming, His humiliation, His humble service. Verses 9 through 11. That was the exaltation of Christ. Okay? The exaltation of Christ. Now, Paul is going to go further with this, and it starts with a wherefore. So all this is tied together, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep this in context here. Uh, in verse 12, but it all goes together. So keep that in mind. The humiliation of Christ, the exaltation of Christ, and even why he made mention of those things, it's all, it's all relevant to these two verses right here, verses 12 and 13, our text this morning. Let's read it. He said this, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And I want you to underline a phrase in verse 12 that honestly, immediately, this was not the phrase that I thought really... Uh, give us a lot of insight into these verses, but it is. And I want to prove to you why the little prepositional phrase at the end of verse number 12, with fear and trembling. I want you to underline those words, with fear and trembling. And I want to prove to you and show you from the Word of God why that phrase right there is actually the key to understanding what Paul is telling us in these verses right here. Okay, And so I couldn't come up with a better title, so the title this afternoon is with fear and trembling. All right, we're just going to use that as the title this afternoon. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful for the privilege we have, Lord, to gather in the house of God today. Father, I pray that you would touch me. Lord, help me. Lord, thank you for keeping us safe and allowing us to gather today. Lord, we pray for those that aren't able to make it. Father, I pray that you would touch me and help me. God, please, God, use me, Lord, to open the Scriptures up. Fill me with the Holy Ghost of God. And I pray that these verses would come alive. And Lord, we wouldn't just have them on our, on our Bible pages. Lord, they wouldn't just be in our head but they would make their way to our hearts and come out in the way that we live. Lord, help us to live to glorify and honor you. If there's somebody listening, Father, and they've never had that good work of salvation done in them, I pray that they would be saved today before it's too late. Help us all to, to draw closer to you and let you live through our lives. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to focus on that phrase, with fear and trembling. And we're going to look at the all every word of these two verses right here, but I want you to especially highlight that because when you think about that phrase, with fear and trembling, you know, it kind of conjures up maybe some thoughts of, uh, of being frightened to death. And why wouldn't it? Fear and trembling. That makes you think of being scared to death. That word fear just simply means dread or means terror. That word uh, trembling, it just simply means the quaking that results from fear from being afraid. And so really in its, uh, in, its, in its rawest definition, that's what it is. It's being afraid. It's being scared to death. But here's what's amazing. Here's what I noticed as I was just kind of doing a little research on that little phrase, that Paul uses this phrase in some context four times in his writing, okay? Get your Bible ready. I want you to look at them with me, all right? We're going we're gonna to let our, let our fingers do some walking through the, not the yellow pages, but uh, through, the, through the Scriptures, all right? 
And I, I want you to look at these because they're all close by. You can find them real easy. But, but Paul uses this phrase in, in, a, in one form or another, fear and trembling. He uses it four times, okay? This is one. And so let's look at the other three real quick. And I want you to, I wanna, I want you to notice the context that it's used in. And that's going to give us some insight here. So go back just to one Bible book to the left, Ephesians, okay? Go to the left, one book, one letter here, one epistle, and chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And in this chapter, of course, in chapter 5, he's talking to husbands and wives. And then when he gets to chapter 6, he's talking to children. And then he gets in verse number 5 talking to employees, okay, to servants. And here's what he said in verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. Here it is, with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. And keep going to verse number 6. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Here's what I want you to notice about that phrase with fear and trembling. I want you to notice that it is used in the context of being obedient and being a servant. It is used in context of obedience and service, okay? Now, go, keep going to the left with me, a couple books, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians and chapter 7. Now, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes a pretty scathing letter to the church at Corinth. Somewhere in the middle after that letter between 1 and 2 Corinthians, they repent, they get right. Paul gets word from Titus that they had gotten right. They received the letter and they sorrowed, they repented, they got right. Paul is writing to them and he's thankful and he's comforted in the fact that they had repented and didn't get mad. They got a rebuke, but instead of getting mad and, getting, and, and cutting Paul off, they received the rebuke and they got right. By the way, that's what real Christians do, by the way. Anyway, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 15, here's what he says. 2 Corinthians seven fifteen, And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. So that fear and trembling, it describes their obedience and their attitude that they obeyed. The attitude. They didn't grudgingly repent. They did it with fear and trembling. It was a real it was a real thing. I want you it was in context of obedience here. Do you see that? The obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Now go back to 1 Corinthians. Keep going to the left, and we'll look at the fourth and final time. Really, if you're going toward, you know, from Matthew to Revelation, this would be the first time. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, and Paul is recounting his, uh, he's recounting his uh, coming to Corinth. Uh, at verse 1, he's talking about how he didn't. Come and excellence your speech. You determined not to know anything among you. Save Jesus Christ and crucified. And look at verse 3. 1 Corinthians 2, 3. And I was with you, here's what he said, in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. So he, was, he said it was in weakness and fear and in much trembling. Again, Paul is talking about his attitude in which he served the Lord. How did he come to Corinth and preach? How did he minister in Corinth? He said his attitude was like this. It was in weakness and it was in fear and in much trembling. And so go back to our text in Philippians 2 and I want you to note that this is the context which Paul uses that phrase. Every single 
single time he ever uses the phrase fear and trembling, he's not talking about somebody cowering in fear. He's not talking about somebody being deathly afraid that they're going to get hurt, but rather this is an attitude. This is a certain disposition that somebody has in their obedience. While they're serving and while they're obeying God, they have this certain attitude of humility and obedience. David uses this in in Psalm 2 verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. He said, when you serve God, serve Him with an attitude of fear. Not that we're scared of God like like God's some kind of cosmic bully, but no, we are are afraid, we are fearful in the sense that we respect Him, we want to please Him, we don't want to let Him down, we don't want to be a castaway, we want to do our best and we do it with humility knowing that He is the master and we are the servant. And that is the context that we find here in Philippians chapter 2. The subject at hand is obedience, right? Look at, look at our verse again. Look at verse number 12, Philippians 2, 12. He said, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always what obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. The context of Paul's words here is obedience. He's talking about being obedient. And he's actually in this verse, he's commending this church for being obedient. Look what he said. Look what he said. He said, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Now that's amazing right there. Because some people, if you got kids, you know this to be true. They'll obey when you're watching. But as soon as you turn your back and you're not looking, they disobey, right? No kid that has half a brain cell, you know, will disobey right in front of their parents, right? I guess I didn't have half a brain cell sometimes because I think I did that sometimes. But, uh, but you, you do it when nobody is watching, when nobody is looking, uh, right? And, and, and if somebody obeys... When the authority is gone, when somebody obeys, when the accountability is absent, you know what that means? It means they really got it in their heart. Amen. In fact, you are what you are when nobody's watching. Amen. Character is who you are in the dark. It ain't when the pastor's watching, when the teacher's watching, when the preacher's watching, when the parent's watching, when the spouse is watching. You are who you are when nobody's looking. That's who you really are. Amen. We don't like to think about that, but that's the truth. And he's commending them. He said, look, I've been gone. Paul was gone. But yet, you know what they did? They obeyed even more. They Much more in his absence. They were doing even better while he was gone, which lets us know that, you know what? They weren't just obeying for Paul. They were obeying because it was in their heart. They loved the Lord. Amen. Amen. So, you know, people find out, well, the preacher's out of town. He's preaching out of town. I'm not going to come to church on Wednesday night, you know. Well, it's not in your heart then, because it don't matter. Preacher there, pastor there, not there, mom and dad's not there. It doesn't matter. If it's in your heart to do right, you'll do it when nobody's looking, when nobody's watching. Amen. Anyway, but the reason sometimes the, the, the actual context of these verses get a little obscured is because there's a phrase. Now, let me just, I got a long introduction and a really short message, all right? So just calm down. All right. When, we get, when I say point one, somebody's going to be like, oh, we're only at point one. And, uh, but when we get to point one, we're almost done, okay? But there's been some confusion. What, what really sucks the air out of the room with this verse is that little phrase in verse 12 where it says, work out your own salvation. People choke on that. You know, there's, there's whole 
denominations and they use this verse to show, well, look, he said if you're going to be saved, you've got to work to be saved. But notice what it says. It says work out your own salvation. It doesn't say work at your own salvation. It doesn't say work for your own salvation. What does it say? Work out your own salvation. And that's to mean that... Uh, well, let me say this first. That that term salvation, when you see it in the Bible, it can mean a couple of different things. You've got to understand what the context is. You've got to look around the verse and get the context. That word, when you see salvation in the Bible, it could be talking about your justification, right? That is when you, God saved you. That's when you put faith in Christ. He, just, he made you right in the sight of God. When you see the word salvation in the Bible, it could be talking about your sanctification. You know what sanctification is? It is the means by which God is conforming you into the image of Christ. You are being saved right now. He is saving you. You have been saved. That's justification. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We're not going to hell. We are being saved right now from the power of sin. He's working on you. He is, uh, he's hammering on you. He is, he's, he's doing that work inside of you. Like he's talking about Philippians 1.6 in, in, cha- in chapter 1 verse 6. Uh, that He which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's work- How many can agree and give me a witness in here? He's working on me. Amen. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part, right? Like the song says, really ought to be a sign on my heart. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. He's still working on me. Like we used to sing when we were kids. And that's, that's sanctification. And then there's a part that we will be saved. And that's called glorification. Hey, man, how many excited about that? You're going to get a glorified by We'll be saved from the very presence of sin. And so there is a sense that we have been saved, we are being saved now, and we will be saved. And so when you read the word salvation, you've got to look around it and find out exactly in which, uh, in which angle that the writer is looking at it. And uh, you got to look at the context, and it will reveal which of these doctrines is being taught. Now, in our context here... It's clearly Paul's talking to people that are saved. Notice what he calls them in verse number 12. He said, wherefore, my what? He calls them beloved. He's talking to people that are obedient even when the preacher's not around. That's, that's pretty good right there. They're living in obedience to the work of God. And, and so he's talking to saved people. So he's not telling them they need to work out their salvation, like figure out whether you're saved or not, or try to, try to save yourself and work to be saved. That's not what he's talking about at all, obviously. That would be... I mean, just opposite of everything that Paul has taught about salvation. What is he talking about here? Well, if he's talking about obedience and he's talking about obeying and he's talking about serving and all this stuff, obviously the context is our sanctification. Our sanctification. What is he telling them right there? And I'm going to expand on this in just a little bit, but let me hit it real quick. He's telling them to work out their own salvation. Uh, This is talking about sanctification. He's He's charging them to work out outwardly, to work outwardly, something that has been worked inwardly. He's telling them to work out something that they already possess. If you look at the very next verse, it says, For it is God which worketh in you. How many of you know that God, when He saves you, He does a work in you? That's what Paul talked about in verse 6 of chapter 1, being confident of this very thing, that He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something. When you got saved, He put salvation in you, and now it's your responsibility to work it out. You got to work out what God has worked in. Amen. That's what he's talking about right there. Now, 
That was going to be my whole message. That was the point. Work out what God's worked in. But then I, I really got to meditating on this phrase with fear and trembling. And I want to submit to you and just propose this, that, that this is the point. This is what unlocks the truth here. We've already seen this phrase. It's always connected to obedience. It is the attitude in which you obey God. It's the attitude in which you serve God. This phrase seems to always be connected to our attitude, our spirit, our disposition in which we are obedient to the Lord. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, because he's not, he's not telling these people to, to obey. They're already obeying. He's not, a, he's, not, he's not correcting them for their lifestyle. They're already living in obedience. What is, he, what is he talking to them about? He's talking to them about their attitude in which they obey. Now listen to me. Here it is. If you don't get anything else, get this. God is not just concerned with your actions. He's also concerned with your attitude. What's the context of this entire chapter? It's humility. Go back, go back up to verse 2 and verse 3. What does he say? Philippians 2 and verse 3 uh, and verse 4. Fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. He's talking about humility, not just obeying, not just serving God, but doing it with an attitude of humility. He said, you're obeying. You're even obeying more in my absence. He said, but Paul's encouraging them and he said, listen, don't just obey, but work out your salvation with the right attitude. Do it with fear and do it with trembling. Do it with a humble disposition. And that what he's talking about? And I'm getting ahead of myself, but isn't that what he's talking about? When he brings up Jesus, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal to God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him with the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man, being found in fashion as a man, he what? Humbled himself and became obedient. Jesus not only obeyed the will of God, but He obeyed humbly the will of God. And see, that was a problem. And Philippi is a great church. This is a great church. They were doing everything right. They were giving. They were generous. They were going. They were obeying. They were living right. But there was a little issue in Philippi. And it was the issue of not just obeying, but obeying with the right attitude and the right spirit. You say... Is that really what he's talking about? Well, look at verse 14. We'll get to this next week, Lord willing. He's telling them, do all things without what? Murmurings and disputings. So it's not enough just to do all things, period. Is that what it says? Do all things. If God was just concerned about your obedience, just do right. I don't care what you feel like on the inside. As long as you do it, I don't care what you, how you feel about it. If that was it, then the verse would just say, do all things, period. But, but is God not only concerned with what you do, but He's concerned with your attitude while you're doing it? That's why it says, do all things without what? Murmurings and disputings. Oh, and we're going to get that next week. All you complainers, man, I'm about to nail you to the wall next week. I mean, complain. you won't complain for three hours after my message next week. Oh, you'll go a whole three hours out complaining. It's going to be great. Some of y'all complain while I'm preaching against complaining about being too message too long. All right. 
But anyway, do all things without murmurings and disputing. What does that tell us? That tells us the context here is this, is that Paul is commanding them and commending them not just to obey, but to obey with the right attitude. Humble humility. God says when He wants a giver, what kind of giver does God like? He wants a cheerful giver. See, He don't want you just to give. He wants you to be glad about giving. See, God only expects the obedience, but He expects and demands the right attitude while you're performing what He has commanded you to do. Peter said, uh, use hospitality one to another, and then he said, do it without grudging. It means you can be hospitable. You can help somebody like we're commanded to in the Bible, but if you're doing it all the while under your breath, you're thinking, man, I don't want to do this. Why am I going to pay? And you're thinking, God don't like that. He don't like it. He wants you to obey, and not just obey, but do it from the heart. The psalmist said, Psalm 100, I love this psalmist, said, serve the Lord with gladness. Do it with gladness. God not only cares about what you do, but He cares about the attitude in which you do it. And I'm glad you're here at church. Three o'clock service, you may you know, move things around, come to church today. God bless you, I appreciate you doing it. But if you're sitting here and you got your arms crossed, like, good girl, I don't know why i got to be here. Listen, that don't count, all right? I'm glad you're here, but listen, you don't have the right attitude. You see, there's a difference between somebody that's made to do it and somebody wants to do it. There's the difference between somebody that does it and wants everybody to see them and look at them, and they do it because of the recognition it gives them. There's a difference between that and somebody that does it just because they love Jesus, and He's the master, and you're the servant and you're just glad to be able to be in His service. He said, do it. Work out your own salvation. It's not talking about trying to save yourself. It's talking about doing what what God worked in. Work it out. Live out your faith. Live it right. Obey. Continue obeying. But do it with fear and trembling. Don't get cocky about it. Don't get prideful about it. That's exactly what he's talking about in his verse. It's possible to obey but not have the right attitude. The church at Ephesus, right? In the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. Church at Ephesus. Man, they were doctrinally right. Practically, they were doing everything that they were supposed to do. They were obedient and they were doctrinally pure. And God said, I got something against you. Jesus said, you have left your first love. You're doing it, but you don't have the right attitude. And the attitude that's being emphasized here, fear and trembling, is the attitude of humility. Humility. That's what he's talking about. Don't just obey. Don't just do. Don't just serve. Don't just do what you're supposed to do. But do it with an attitude of humility. It's fear and trembling. It's not being scared to death of God as some kind of big bully, but it is obeying and serving the Lord humbly in the fear of God. That's what Paul told those Ephesian elders before he left for Jerusalem. Remember, he prayed with them and wept with them, and he recounted his service there in Ephesus, and here's what he said. He said, I serve the Lord here, he said, with all humility of mind and with many tears. Paul said, when I served here, I served here with humility of mind. Serving the Lord humbly, listen to this, Serving the Lord humbly is having a, self, a self-distrust. It's putting no confidence in the flesh. It's taking heed to ourselves lest we fall. 
It's being broken by the thought of bringing shame and reproach to the name of Jesus. It is the fear of being self-controlled rather than being spirit-controlled. And when you serve the Lord in your flesh, and you do it with a spirit of pride and arrogance and self-confidence, and what I mean by that is confidence in your own self and in your own abilities, I'm going to tell you what that does. That split a church. That's disunity in the church. Because what we're talking about, the idea is unity. Go all the way back to verse 27 of chapter 1, and from here on out, Paul is wanting unity in the church, one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And there's only one way to keep unity in the church, and that's all of us have to be humble in mind and humble in spirit. Unity through humility, and it's synonymous with serving the Lord with fear and trembling. There's no place for pride in servants. Listen, even if we, I read this morning in my Bible read, even if we do all that we're supposed to do, even if we do everything that we're supposed to do, still at the end of the day, we're unprofitable servants. We've done that which is our duty to do. There's no pride. There's no room for pride in service. I'll tell you what, when there's pride amongst the servants, when everybody is doing what's right, but they have a prideful attitude about it, and they're cocky and arrogant, and they're confident, and they're doing it in the flesh, I'm going to tell you what, that doesn't, that doesn't produce fruit. It produces friction in the church is what it does. Amen. And so Paul helps us with our humility here, and he points us to three things. I'm sure to you. I told you, when I get to point one, you're going to be discouraged, but don't be discouraged. Cheer up, my brother. Live in the sunshine. And here's what he's going to do. Here's what Paul does. He points us to God. Because here's the thing. No flesh can glory in His presence. You can't, there's nobody, you can't get boastful in the, in, in the presence of God. When you get in His presence, <laughs> you see you're, you're nothing. You're nothing. I oh Isaiah, man, got a glimpse of the throne room. He said, woe is me. Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Man, and then we, we get that attitude. There is self-abasement and there is the attitude of humility when we get in His presence. There is fear and trembling in the presence of God because of how awesome He is and how little and nothing we are without Him. And so Paul points us to God. Uh, so Paul tells us to remember three things about, about God. Number one, I'm going to hit the first one really quickly and then I'm... Spend just a few minutes on the second one and then the third one real quick and I'm done. Number one, Paul tells us to remember this. It is God who did this. Remember, it's God who displayed the pattern. Remember who displayed and displayed the pattern. Who shows us the pattern for all this? It's God. It's Jesus, right? And, and, and that wherefore in verse number 12, it kicks us back up to verses 9 through 11 when we learn about the exaltation of Christ. In fact, that even starts with a wherefore in verse 9. And so it kicks us back up again, talking about the humiliation of Christ. And so you have the humiliation of Christ. He come down, He condescended, He obeyed humbly, He did the Father's will, and because He was humble, what is the principle here? God exalted Him, and the principle is all through the Word of God. If you will humble yourselves, He will lift you up. If you will humble yourselves, if you will lower yourself, God will exalt you. If you will abase yourself... 
God will exalt you. That is a Bible principle from Genesis to Revelation. It's an eternal uh, 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 It transcends every dispensation. It is just how it works in the economy of God. You go down and God will lift you up. Jesus is the prime example of that. Jesus is one who not only did what was right, but He did it from the heart. He did it humbly. He did it with the right attitude. And if anybody could have been proud of themselves, obviously it could have been Jesus. Nobody has ever came as far as He was and, and, and came. So we're prompted to consider who it was that modeled this service for us. No one has ever condescended as low as the Prince of Glory. And if Jesus, listen, if Jesus could humble Himself to serve, who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? If the Lord of Glory could humble Himself like that, who are we? We don't have near as far to go as He did. We don't have near as far to go down as He did, right? Because we've never been that far up. We're already on the bottom. We really don't have far to fall. Humbling yourself really shouldn't be that big of a deal (laughs) because we're already way down there. And if Jesus could do it, if God could do it, God in the flesh, He was God in Christ, reconciling the world to Himself, if God in the flesh could do it, the Word made flesh, if He could do it, Who are we to think we're above humbling ourselves and obeying humbly? There ain't nothing below us. Remember who displayed the pattern. Who showed us the pattern? It's Jesus. The servant's not greater than his Lord. The Lord did it. The servants can do it. Everybody give me a big amen right there. Number two. Not only remember who displayed the pattern, listen to this. Remember who deserves the praise. When you're ser- you want to stay humble serving God, remember who it is who deserves all the praise. You say, who is it? Look at verse 13. Read the first four words with me. You ready? For it is God. Boom, shakalaka. There it is. Who deserves the praise? It is God that deserves the praise. Now, this is amazing right here. This is, let me just settle in here just for two seconds, all right? It is God. That's clear. That's a great truth that will keep us humble we don't have any business. Listen, whatever you've done for God, whatever you've accomplished, whatever, whatever's on your resume, can I tell you something? You ain't got no business taking credit for none of it. You say, well, you don't understand what I've done. Well, you don't understand what God's done in you. Because when you understand what God's done in you, then you won't, you'll take your hands off everything. Say, well, Chris Simpson, he's the pastor of the Walters Grove. God help us all. And Chris Simpson ain't done nothing but make a mess in everything he's done and everywhere he's went. If God has done anything good with my life and done anything good in my ministry at all, listen, he gets all the glory and gets all the honor and all the praise. I'm going to tell you the reason I'm serving God today. It's not because something I've done or anything I've done. It's because God has done a work inside of me. Oh, man. He's done a work. How in the world could I lay... Uh, late claim. How could I take credit for anything that God has done? God is the one that has enabled me and empowered me to do it. I ought to be in hell is where I ought to be this afternoon. God has empowered me to serve Him. He gets all the glory and all the praise. You can't serve God proudly. You can't obey with some kind of look what I'm doing and I'm so much better than those people because look what I do. God gets all the glory and all the praise for that. Some people wince at that because your flesh likes glory. 
Your flesh likes recognition. You want to be applauded and approved, and you want somebody to think well of you and just lift you up on some pedestal. But I'm here to tell you, that's not how this Christian life operates. Paul said, it is God which worketh in you. It is God. That word worketh, it just simply means energize. It's giving you the energy. Where did you, you say, well, I've done this and I've done that. But who gave you the energy to do it? God. And he said he's giving you, the, he's giving, he worketh in you both to what? There's two things. Both the will, you know what that means? That's your desire. That means if you even have a desire to obey God right now, that didn't come from you. <laughs> How about that? God worked that desire. And I want to thank God. I want, oh man, I want to thank God that I have the desire. I don't always do what's right. And listen, I don't always do, I don't always do probably as good as I, as I ought to do and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to know something. There's a desire inside of the heart of Chris Simpson to love God and to serve God. And I want to give God everything that I have, but I can't even take credit for the desire. Where did it come from? It came from God. He's the one that worked it inside of me. He gave me the, the desire, and then He gave me the, the do, right? To will and to do. The ability, the energy, the strength, the capacity. He's the one that did it all. That's why He gets all the glory. That's what Paul said. Serve God. Work out your own salvation. But do it with fear and trembling. Why, Paul? Because it's God that's works, that works in you both to will and to do. It ain't have nothing to do with you. It don't have anything to do with you. It has everything to do with God. Amen. It's God which worketh in you. Now some of you think, well, hold on a second, preacher. Hold on a second. It's, it's all God? Well, don't I? Don't I? I mean, I got some responsibility, right? I got I to gotta do something. I got to do something. I mean, you know, every act of obedience in my life, it, it's come, come from God. Every desire, it's all come from God. Well, welcome Welcome to the Bible, all right? We're so glad you came. Because <laughs> these verses right here, and the reason they're so awesome is because they really, they highlight this tension that runs all throughout the Bible between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. And if you got it figured out, come see me after church, and I'll tell you why you don't have it figured out. If you think you got it figured out, <laughs> you the... Lord help, we're going to pray for you. Amen. Listen, God is 100% fully sovereign in everything, over everything. Amen. And you are 100% responsible for it. It means if you act stupid, you can't blame that on God. Amen. You're responsible for what you do. And even in sanctification, which is the context here, there's a cooperation with God, right? You yield yourself. We'll get to, when we get to Romans 6, we'll focus a lot on those words, reckon and know and yield and obey and all those things about living the Christian life. And so there's an element of that. But listen, there is a tension. It's pulling both ways. It's in the Bible, and it's not there on accident. God didn't get the Bible wrote and think, oh, man, you know what? I should have clarified that just a little bit. And people struggle. No, that tension is there on purpose. There's a mysterious tension in the Bible between... The sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. What am I doing? What, what is God doing in my life? Is it me that's obeying or is it God? That's a, who is living my Christian life? If you were to answer that question and say, well, it's me. I'm, I'm responsible for my Christian life. 
So what you're saying is, is you get all the glory, you get all the credit, it's all you? You say, well, no, 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 no. No, I'm not saying that. Okay, well, it's God. God is living it through me. Really? You're going to blame your sorry Christian life on God? (laughs) You see, you just kind of cut off on both ends. Paul never really, the Bible doesn't ever give us some kind of super clarification on this. It just lets us know this tension exists. In fact, some of y'all look at me crazy. Hey, look at your Bible. Go back a couple. Go to Galatians. Go to Galatians chapter 2. You know this verse. Galatians chapter 2. Listen to this. Galatians 2, verse 20. Very familiar verse. Galatians 2, 20. Here's what Paul said. I am crucified with Christ. That means he's dead, right? If you're crucified, that means you're dead. He said, well, hold on a second. Nevertheless, I live. But then he says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So Paul said, I'm dead, but I'm alive. And I'm only alive because Christ is living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh. He's talking about this Christian life right now that he is living while he is in the flesh. How do you live it, Paul? He said, I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's not your faith? No, Paul said, no, it's the faith of the Son of God. Paul, who is it, Paul? Are you living or is it Christ living? Which Paul would say, yes. Absolutely. I go back, go back a little bit further. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Here's another good one. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Is it you, Paul, or is it somebody else? Is it you or is it God? Paul would say, 1 Corinthians 15, look at verse number 10. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But now look what He said. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Well, hold on right there. Just stop right there. That sounds a little braggadocious, don't it? I labored more. Who is the they all? Well, if you read it, He's talking about the other apostles. He's talking about He's an apostle born out of due time and all that. By the grace of God, He is what He is. is what He said. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. You know what Paul just said right there? He said, I worked harder than all these other apostles. <laughs> okay, Paul, just calm down just a little bit there, buddy. But that's, he didn't quit there, does he? He said, let more abundantly than all. Hey, what did he say? He said, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Paul, was it you working hard or was it the grace of God? Was it the faith of the Son of God? Was it the grace of God? Was it you? What is going on here? To which Paul would say, I don't know. All I know is this, is that I'm giving it all I got and then I'm giving God all the glory for every bit of it. And that is exactly the conclusion that we are supposed to come to. The truth is this, listen, the truth is this, is that you are responsible. There is this, there's no room for a bunch of lazy Christianity. Paul just told us, work out your own salvation. That means work. That means do something. This whole thing, well, I'm just going to let go and let God. That ain't in the Bible. I'm just going to sit back and let no get up and do something for God. Amen. Amen. Work out your own salvation. If you're not doing something for the Lord, you're living in disobedience. Amen. Everybody listen to me? Because what's the very next, in our text, back in Philippians 2, after verse 12 and verse 13, the very next word is do. (laughs) He's telling us to do something. Do all things, but do it with the right attitude. 
work out your own salvation. But then in the very next verse, he's telling us, but it's God that's working inside of us. He plants those desires inside of us. He gives us the strength to accomplish them. And so the only conclusion we can come to is that we need to work like it all depends on us. And we need to pray and praise and worship like it all depends on God because the truth is it does. You say, well, I need more clarification than that. Well, you're going to have to hire a smarter preacher. That's the best I can do. All I know is that was what the Bible says. You just preach what the, you preach what the Bible says. You don't preach what you understand. You preach what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. Work it out. If you're sitting around like a lazy bum, quit it. Get up and work out your... If it's really inside of you, work it out. But know this. Do it with fear and trembling because it's God working in you. Amen. That's the best I can do on that. Remember this. How do we, how do we serve humbly? Miss Maddie, come around the piano. Remember this. Remember who displayed the pattern. Remember who deserves the praise. It's Him because he, he does it all. And remember who designs the plan. <clears throat> remember who designs the plan. I want you to notice that last little phrase at the end of verse... 13, he said, it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do. And look at what it says, of his good pleasure. You know what that means? It means he does it the way he wants it to be done. He does it for his own purposes, and he does it according to his own plan. It's all for his good pleasure. Your obedience, my obedience, is ultimately not about my good pleasure. It's not about me. Okay, it's not, it's not about what I want. I don't obey so I can get what I want. I obey so I can do what He wants to do. It's His good pleasure. When's the last time you really thought about what, does, what makes God happy? You know, some people they stay at home church because that's not what makes... They go do something else, you know, when it's church time because that's what makes them happy. But what makes God happy? You ever thought about that? What about His good pleasure? I tell you, man, we're living in such a self-centered, narcissistic world, and that's why people got a pop handful of pills every day just to cope because they think the whole world is all about them. Why is this happening to me? And why is this all going to be me? And why does God got to take this from me? And why is it all about? What about God? What about His good pleasure? And that's really the secret to happiness. You do what He wants. You get in where He wants, and and make what makes Him happy. Make it make you happy, and guess what? You'll be happy. Amen. I'll send you a bill later, a therapy bill for that. I just saved you thousands of dollars in medicine and doctors. Amen. It's about Him. It's not, it's not about you. It's about God. He's the one that designs the plan. I don't like the plan. It don't matter. You ain't the designer. He's doing this thing. He's doing this thing according to His plan and what gives Him pleasure. Amen. It ain't about you. It's about Him. And that's what keeps us humble. All right, we got snowed out last week. I don't like that, but guess what? I wasn't, I didn't make any plans. I can sit down, I can get mad, and I can get upset about it. Or I can just say, Lord, somehow, some way, this is your plan. This is bringing you pleasure. Sign me up for it. Amen. You know, we're getting a little slow start to this year. I'm grumble, complain about it. Of course, we'll get to all that next week, right? If any of y'all come. Bring it. Hey, listen, I want you to find a complainer and invite them to church next Sunday, all right? Even if you live with them, all right? We grumble and we complain about things. Man, this is about His good pleasure. He works in you both to will 
and to do of His good pleasure. It's all about Him and it's all for Him. You know what that'll do? That'll keep you humble right there. That'll keep you serving, saying, you know what? It's not about me. It's all about Him. And when we remember that the reason we're serving Him in the first place, or maybe the reason you started serving Him in the first place, was for His pleasure. You know what it'll make you do? It'll make you fear just a little bit. It'll make you tremble just a little bit. And it's not you're scared God's going to whop you upside the head. It's no, you see how amazing He is and how awesome He is and how wonderful He's been. And you just get a little nervous in His presence. You think, man, who am I to go demanding and complaining? And uh, Who am I to think I'm anything? I'm nothing. He's everything. And it'll humble you down a little bit. And you just stay right there. That's the best place to serve God. Say, preacher, I'm nothing. I, I, that's the, you are a prime candidate to be a great servant and be greatly used of God when you're humble and when you're fearing and when you're trembling. Here's the truth. God don't, he doesn't just care about your obedience. He wants you to be obedient. If you're being disobedient, be obedient. Amen. Quit. Quit it. <laughs> Work out your own salvation. Do it. Start living right. Get filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Die to yourself. Be alive unto God. But if you are doing your best to be obedient, are you doing it with the right attitude? You see, living with fear and trembling, it'll actually protect you from things that threaten your obedience. See, I don't want to just be obedient today. I want to be obedient tomorrow, next year. If I don't have the right attitude, guess what? It's going gonna, it's gonna to threaten my future obedience. People that serve, serve pridefully, I'm telling you something, they don't serve very long. You can't stay in this thing long proud. You're proud, you get all the wind knocked out of you real quick. People that are full of themselves and they find out that ministry and serving Jesus, you know what to do? It'll knock the self right out of you. And if you ain't full of God, you ain't going to have nothing left. When you get knocked, when you get everything, get you knocked out of you. I'm going to tell you something, but it's a great, it's a great day. You realize, listen, I, I don't have to be recognized. I don't have to have the, my opinion does not have to be Number one, listen, I don't have to be this. I don't have to be that. I'm just a servant, and I'm going to serve God with fear and trembling. That's the right attitude. That's the Christ-like attitude. That's that mind being in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. He came, and he didn't say, he didn't go, he didn't go around and call subjects to serve him as some king. No, he ran around, and he served people. He got on his knees and he washed feet. Washed the feet of the very one that was about to betray him. And he hung on a cross and he did it all for us. And you know what the Bible said through the prophet David as a prophet, Psalm 40. He said, I delight to do thy will. Oh my God. It was a delight. You know what Jesus said made him happy. What fulfilled him, what satisfied him. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. That's satisfying. Humbly. Obeying, but obeying humbly. And so my prayer this afternoon before we go home is this. Is that God, please, please help me. 
to serve you and not just do what's right, but God help me to do it with the right spirit and the right attitude, fear and trembling. Let's stand together all over the bill. Miss Maddie, a play. Do you have the right disposition?